Do you ever struggle with remembering details from your travels? Then I've got something special for you. How would you like a better way to keep track of all the things you see and experience in Scotland? A way to keep those special memories and all the details fresh for years to come. My new Scotland travel journal might just be what you need. It includes daily journaling prompts to help you start writing about your day, lots of space for doodling and notes, prompts to reflect on your trip overall, and suggestions for things to do that help you make more meaningful connections with Scotland. There's also inspiration for your travel bucket list, a map to draw your route, space to keep track of your travel details, and some Gaelic and Scottish phrases to try while you're here. All you have to do is print out the journal, fold the pages in half and start writing. The Scotland Travel Journal is the perfect companion for your upcoming trip to Scotland. Find it in the Watch Me See online shop or visit the link in the show notes. And now, let's get on with the show. Hello there, and welcome to Wild for Scotland, a podcast full of inspiring stories from Scotland. I'm your host, Cathy Kamleitner. Wild for Scotland helps you connect with Scotland and dream about future adventures. I'll tell you immersive stories to whisk you away, share some of my top tips for your own Scotland trip, and introduce you to inspiring locals and their stories. So lean back and enjoy. Let's travel to Scotland. Hello and welcome. Today I have a story for you from a recent trip to the beautiful countryside of Perthshire. This region is a little bit of a hidden gem, especially among visitors who travel to Scotland from a bit further afield. It's in the Highlands, although it's not quite the Highlands, wedged between the mountain ranges on the west coast and the Cairngorms National Park. The landscapes here are a little different. There are huge woodlands dotted with freshwater lochs. The mountains are tall, but the glens aren't quite as dramatic as they are over on the west coast. Nevertheless, Pusher is an incredibly scenic place to visit and a real treasure trove for adventurers like myself. And that's what today's story is all about. An adventure in the heart of Perthshire. This is Ishke. Some things sound like they're an amazing idea. But when it comes to executing that idea, it turns out it's not quite that easy. Swimming in Scotland is one of these things for me. I love the idea of jumping into a highland loch or swimming in the Scottish sea. For years, I've brought a swimsuit with me on my trips, hoping that I'll come across a particularly pretty beach or a nice stretch of loch that is perfect for a plunge. And oftentimes, I've actually found such a place, put on my swimsuit and started making my way towards the water. But more than once, there was a moment when my idea 
of swimming in Scotland got confronted with the reality of swimming in Scotland. The cold, cold truth hit me like a slap in the face. Swimming in Scotland sounds like a lot of fun, but if you're anything like me, getting yourself to actually submerge yourself in the ice-cold water of a Scottish loch or the sea is an entirely different thing. And so I became a wannabe swimmer, always ready with my swimsuit in my bag, but never quite brave enough to actually go for it. That is until a friend told me about the benefits of outdoor swimming in cold water, and slowly I started to warm up to the idea. In the last couple of years, more and more opportunities have presented themselves to me that made taking the plunge a little easier. First, I bought a paddleboard, and all of a sudden, I was near the water on a regular basis. I took a dip here and there, sometimes voluntarily, other times not so much. But I was always wearing a warm wetsuit, which gave me an extra layer of protection from the cold. Last summer, I stayed in a shepherd's hut in Ayrshire, during a heat wave, and since there was no actual shower, I opted for the refreshing waters of a nearby river. Then I booked a swim session with an open water coach in the Galloway Forest, went snorkelling near the Outer Hebrides, gorge walking at Loch Lomond in the middle of winter. And by the time spring came, I didn't even bat an eyelid at the idea of an open water swim session in the sea near Oban, as long as I could wear my wetsuit, that is. I still wouldn't consider myself a swimmer, but with every plunge I took, I remembered the pure joy I felt when I first learned to swim as a child. And so it was with great excitement that I accepted an invitation to join my friend Callum McLean for an outdoor swim in Persia. Our journey begins on the road. I leave Glasgow early in the morning, hitting the motorway before most people would make their way to work. The M8 and M80 fly by, and soon after Stirling, I leave the A9 to follow the road through a succession of scenic villages that get smaller and smaller. And so does the road. The quickest way to get from Creef to Loch Tay is via the Glen Quaich Road. It is one of the highest roads in Scotland and climbs high into the heathery moor via countless twists and turns. It's a scenic route to follow, but a treacherous drive nevertheless. Nervously, I cross stone bridges, labelled weak, rattle across cattle grids and master the challenge of steep hairpin bends. Luckily, I don't meet another car until I'm higher up, where the road flattens out and I can see far ahead. In the distance, I can see the peaks of the lawyer's range, still covered in patches of snow. After a while, the road drops down again, as steeply as it rose before. Hairpin bends bring me into the woodlands that cover the shore of Loch Tay. The ground is covered in bluebells, and even though my windows are closed, I notice the intense smell of wild garlic. I drive through Kenmore, past the Scottish Cranock Centre, and continue for another mile or so, until I reach a car park where I meet Callum 
and together we're setting out on the trail. Callum has chosen to show me one of his favourite swim spots in Pasher, a river that thunders down a lush green gorge and forms a succession of pools before it reaches Loch Tay. The sun is out, but the appearance is deceiving. It had been raining heavily last night, and the river seemed to be carrying a lot more water than usual. But let's have a look and see what it's like, Callum reassures me. The hike to the pools is short but steep. To my right I can see sheep and lambs grazing on a grassy slope, basking in the sunshine. To my left I can hear the water tumbling down the shady gorge, but it's hard to see through the fresh young leaves on the trees. As we continue walking, we spot a sign that points away from our path and decide to follow it. So we've got the first cool bit of the walk here. You see the wee sign, Hermit's Cave. Uh, It's quite a weird little bit, so we're going to go through a tunnel, basically, into complete darkness, so just watch your head. And then it turns left and it pops out, and I'm not going to tell you, but you're going to get a really cool view. So if you want to lead the way, just watch your head. Yeah, let's do it. Back in the 18th century, wealthy landowners often created these caves as a way to turn the natural world into their own personal landscape gardens on a massive scale. Victorian tourists were obsessed with the sublime, awe-inspiring sights of nature, moments of sheer powerlessness in the face of natural wonders. Oh, that is dark. The Hermit Cave here at Loch Tay leads visitors through a dark S-shaped tunnel and opens up dramatically to the most beautiful vista. Oh, wow! Wow! Writers like William Wordsworth and Rabbi Burns have come here to draw inspiration for the poems and tales. There's a big waterfall. That's incredible. Wow. It's a lot of water. It was raining all night, wasn't it? Yeah, there's actually way more water than I expected. I didn't think it'd be anything like that. I was here two days ago and it was like half of that maybe. So, oh yeah, my goodness. It's clearly been raining right up the hill and everything's all the streams are coming down. Pretty good view though, hey? It's absolutely incredible. And the colour of the water, that's the peak washing down, isn't it? Yeah, so there's just so much water coming up the hill and it's all peaty land around here, so it's just peat getting washed in, so that's the kind of dark soil in Scotland. Uh, so yeah, that's what you're seeing there. <laughs> yeah. Stunning. We stand here for a while watching the waterfall thundering down the gorge. Nevertheless, we continue our walk to the top of the path. We reach the main pool, where Callum normally likes to swim, and if there was any doubt left before, now there is absolutely no question that we wouldn't swim in this river today. The water is relentlessly tumbling down the rocky edge of a small waterfall, and is swirling around in the pool. There is not one spot in the pool where the water isn't moving, which Callum tells me is a sure sign that it is not safe to go in. There is no shelter in the water, and if the current catches you, it would be too hard to fight against it. But that's the thing with outdoor swimming. The conditions can change, and it's important to assess what's safe and what isn't. 
Maybe that's why some call it wild swimming. We start making our way down again and follow a wooden walkway along the gorge. It crosses the river at its narrowest point. The gap between the rocks is just wider than a metre and the water is shooting down a slippy spout, carving out yet another pool. The path leads us back to the road on the other side of the gorge. Through the leaves we spot the viewing platform at the hermit's cave on the other side and below our feet we hear the rumbling sound of a thundering waterfall but our view is obstructed by the trees. Back in the village the river meanders through a woodland and towards the edge of the loch. The ground is covered in wild garlic and little footpaths lead left and right of the main trail. The scent of the white flowers is mesmerising. Eventually, we reach the loch. There is a fine gravelly beach and a short pier. A boat is tied to it and in the distance we can see the village Kenmore. The shore on the far side is covered in woodlands. The sun plays catch behind the clouds, but when it emerges, the loch and the trees light up and the colours are glorious. The water is sheltered and barely moving, but further away I can see waves and ripples forming on the water's surface. We won't go out far, Callum reassures me. Loch Tay is one of the largest lochs in Scotland. It is narrow, long and deep, nearly 15 miles long and up to 150 metres at its deepest point. And a body of water of those dimensions can only mean one thing, cold water. We take our clothes off until all I wear is my green swimsuit and a bright woolen hat. Your head is where you lose most of your body heat, I remember reading. I take a few steps towards the water's edge. The rough sand is cold and wet. Slowly, we move forwards. The soles of my feet are the first to feel the biting cold of the water. Then my ankles, my shins, my calves and my knees. Ironically, it feels like my legs are on fire. We stop for a few breaths and allow our bodies to acclimatise. Focusing on your breath is one of the most important things you can do when you swim in cold water. Every year, people die from cold water shock. They jump or fall into the cold water and like an involuntary reflex, they take a big gulp of air. Only that they are submerged, filling their lungs with water. Entering the water slowly and controlling your breathing is one of the best ways to avoid this kind of reaction. Next, we submerge our thighs and hips. The cold water is reaching my belly and the lower end of my back. We stop again and breathe. I look over at Callum, knowing exactly what the next step will be. I spot a moment of hesitation in his eyes, but that actually reassures me. At least I'm not the only one who thinks this is crazy. You ready for it? I think so. You don't have to stick your face in. No, I won't stick my face in, but um, I big, will. Big deep breath and then exhale as you get the shoulders under, always helps. And then pop your shoulders straight back out after two strokes. And then you're like, oh, it's not so bad. 
Do you want to count down? Together we count. One, two, three. three. And just like that, I leap forward. colder than expected. Colder than expected? Now that's reassuring. I stretch out my arms and kick my legs. The movement takes my mind off the biting cold on my skin. Instead, I focus on taking short breaths in and long breaths out, pushing air from my lungs through my teeth and out my mouth. In my peripheral vision, I notice Callum putting on his goggles and checking the ground below the pier for rocks or other obstructing objects. But really, I've got my hands full with focusing on myself. How my skin feels. What I'm thinking. What the hell I was thinking. But then, after a few seconds, my mind calms down. The water isn't biting my skin anymore and my limbs start slowing down. I'm moving more gracefully, or at least I feel like I do. This is actually quite nice. No, in fact it's amazing. The water is still cold, but with every stroke I do, my body seems to acclimatise to it more. My breathing is calming down, and I start paying attention to the world around me again. We spend a few more minutes like this in the water, laughing at the cold, but in a weird way also enjoying it. And then, just as quickly as our adventure began, we decide to get out. I swim back to the shore, find the soft ground below my feet, and step outside. My skin is red, and goosebumps cover my thighs. I dry myself off and put my clothes back on. Warm socks, an extra layer and the woolly hat that I kept on the entire time I was in the water. Callum is getting ready for round two. After having checked the ground on the water with his goggles before, he leaps off the pier, just as the sun comes out. (laughs) He stays in for a little while longer, while I warm up with a cup of tea by the shore. Our swim turned out a little colder than planned, but I'm filled with pride that I actually managed to go in. After all, if you do it right, it's really good to take the plunge. Maybe I'm an outdoor swimmer after all. hope you enjoyed this story about my outdoor swim in rural Persia. And just in case you were wondering, the title of the story's Ushka actually means water in Scottish Gaelic. If you feel inspired to take the plunge and go swimming in a Scottish loch or the sea, it's important that you know how to do it safely. In this week's newsletter, I'm sharing some resources and books that are not only full of inspiring swim spots in Scotland, but also lots of tips to make it easier and safer to go for a swim here. You can sign up via the link in the show notes. Now, let's take a quick break and hear more about our sponsors. And we're back. Now it's time for the practical part of the show. Here are five travel tips for a journey to Loch Tay in Persia. Tip number one, 
take plenty of time. Like I said in the story, Loch Tay is one of the largest freshwater lochs in Scotland, and as such, there is a lot to do and see in the area. You can try water activities in Kenmore, visit the Scottish Cranach Centre to learn about history, hike in the Lawyer's Range, see the Falls of Dochart in Killeen, visit a distillery in Naberfeldy, or walk in the footsteps of Robert Burns. You can easily spend a week in the Loch Tay area. That said, it's also just a two-hour drive from Glasgow or Edinburgh, so it's a great place for a weekend getaway. Tip number two. Visit in autumn. Persia is also known as Scotland's big tree country, and is one of my favourite regions to visit in autumn, when all the trees are turning yellow, orange and red. Callum assures me that the falls of Acharn are even more spectacular at that time of the year. And if you're going for a swim, at least the water might have warmed up a little over the summer. Tip number three. Stay safe if you go swimming. Safety should be your number one concern when it comes to outdoor swimming. It's important to educate yourself about water safety and preventative measures and know how to avoid cold water shock. If you're new to swimming or a specific area, try to join a local swimming group or hire a swim coach. Many people have started outdoor swimming in the past few years, which means there are more experts around who can guide you. Tip number four. Take care on the Glen Quaich Road. The road I describe at the beginning of my story is the Glen Quaich Road to Kenmore. Take great care if you decide to drive it. It's not suitable for large vehicles like camper vans or motorhomes, and beginner drivers should really think about whether they're up for the challenge. The road has many narrow bends, is super steep at points, and there are very few passing places. Luckily, the alternative roads are also scenic, so you won't miss out. If you're intrigued, I'll link to a video from the road in the show notes. Tip number five, stop by the watermill in Aberfeldy. I'll link to my Parsher travel guide in the show notes, but I'd love to give a shout out to the watermill bookshop in Aberfeldy. They have a great cafe downstairs, which is just the perfect spot to visit after a swim and warm up with a pot of tea and a piece of cake. And afterwards, you can browse their bookshop, which includes a big selection of non-fiction books about adventures and activities like outdoor swimming. It's a great wee business to visit while you're in the area. You'll find more in my Parsher guide. And with this, I send you off to dream about your own trip to Parsher, to drive down scenic roads, hike to charming waterfalls, or take a plunge in a freshwater loch. Next week, we're speaking with Callum McLean, who is an experienced outdoor swimmer, talented broadcaster and Scottish Gaelic speaker. We'll hear about his journey to outdoor swimming, what it was like to grow up with Gaelic as a first language, how that has impacted his perception of Scottish landscapes, and where to turn if you want to learn a bit of Gaelic yourself. Plus, you'll hear me making a fool of myself, trying to pronounce some common phrases. I hope you'll tune in again. Thank you so much for listening to Wild for Scotland. If you liked today's story, I'd be over the moon if you could leave a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. Before I let you go, here's a fun story. The other day I asked our followers on Instagram about where they listen to the podcast and it's been amazing to hear all the responses. Someone said they like to save multiple episodes and then binge listen over the weekend and that just made my day. 
If you'd like to share your answer, connect with us on Instagram at wildforscotland and let me know when, how or where you listen to the show. I can't wait to hear from you. Wild for Scotland is part of the Tremula Network, adventure and outdoor podcasts off the beaten path. The show is written and hosted by me, Cathy Kamleitner. Thanks to Fran Turowskis, who's the co-producer and editor and does the sound design, and to Michelle Payne, who helps with transcripts and social media. Podcast art is by Lizzie Vaughan Knight, the Tartan Trailburner, and all original music is composed by Bruce Wallace. Until next time, when we travel to a different place in Scotland. If you're still here, listening all the way to the very end, it means you've probably got your hands full. So let me take this opportunity to remind you that I don't just write immersive travel stories. I also plan unforgettable itineraries for Scotland. And it's never been easier to follow one of my routes. Head to watchmesee.com forward slash shop to browse my ready-made Scotland itineraries and turn your travel dreams into reality.